Hello and welcome to Revenue Champions with me, Ryan Reiser. On today's episode, I'm really excited to welcome Refine Labs Director of Sales, Carl Ferreira, onto the podcast. We'll be talking about how demand generation and working with Chris Walker has changed his perception on B2B sales. This change in mentality is really at the forefront of sales innovation at the moment. The conversation covers a lot of exciting ground. So thanks for tuning in and enjoy the episode. All right, we're back for another episode of Revenue Champions. And today I have a pretty special guest with me. Uh, this is a man who likes the sales fam, hashtag sales fam. Uh, unique hashtag sales fan. Hashtag sales fan. He's got a unique journey up into what he's working on today. And we have a really exciting conversation. Carl, do you want to introduce yourself to the audience? Who's Carl Ferreira? What a question. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Uh, excited to be here. Who is Carl Ferreira? Yeah, you know, I've just kind of fallen into this um, this bucket in my career where I'm just surrounded by my frenemies all the time. I think uh, the question I get all the time is uh, like, what is a mark? What is a seller doing? selling marketing or in marketing. I got the, I got the same kinds of questions, um, you know, at HubSpot and definitely now uh, at Refine Labs. But man, at the core of it, um, I'm a sales guy. I would say that my superpower is on the closing side of the sale. Um, I started in sales, gosh, not that long ago, actually, um, six, seven years ago. Um, I started outside sales. I traveled like Sunday to Thursday. I sold print and digital advertising ads in a magazine. That's where it started for me. Um, cold calling down a spreadsheet, uh, no technology. Um, it was like full commission. It was one of those just awesome first sales roles that taught me a lot. And then I moved into tech. I was fortunate enough to get a, get a slot as an AE at a tech company that sold to like enterprise nonprofits, really big churches, any tech that you interact with when you donate to a nonprofit donor management system. So that's where I cut my teeth in tech sales. And from there I grew, um, landed my role at HubSpot, um, was selling the HubSpot platform. And yeah, now taking my first sales leadership position and first sales hire at, uh, at a young company, uh, Refine Labs and um, yeah, having a ton of fun, so. So you bring a really exciting background to the conversation because you've you've kind of done it all. Uh, le legitimate, one hundred percent commission sales, which is where a lot of folks start, and you know that type of individual is a hardcore seller, someone who understands how to build pipeline and create something from nothing because literally one hundred percent commission rules are built that way. <laughs> right, they don't pay for anything unless you sell, and so. Very interesting perspective because you're not getting a lot of the tool set and resources right. that some of these uh, tech folk get. And then you move into uh, a true SaaS product, a little bit different with the nonprofit shtick there, but you understand the game, um, yep. start to get introduced to some of the modern tech, and then you move into you know, one of the more successful sales enablement tools of, of this movement, right? The, the right. creators of Inbound. and. Uh, yet still maintain that outbound focus. And I'm going to, I'm excited to yep. get into those details today, but then now you're over at refine labs, leading sales uh, yep. for a company that's built on this concept that we call you're calling, not we call, but dark social. Yeah. Dark social. Yeah. Can you, can, what is that all about? What is, what does that mean? And, and why are you so excited about this idea now, you know, being a hardcore seller, selling ad tech, martech enablement, I guess now it's, Dark social. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Dark social. What is dark? So yes, a lot of questions there. But dark social is this idea that buying, so buying traditionally happened, right? Back in the day, even when I first started selling, which doesn't feel like back in the day, but even five years ago, six, seven years ago, uh, buying happened differently, right? Like everything was gated. If you wanted pricing information, you had to go through a sales rep, like websites were very vague, right? The, the websites were designed to convert you on the website to get you into a sales conversation. Now websites are like a lot more educational. There's content. You can do quite a bit of learning and exploration of a tool on your own, right? We have a PLG movement. Um, so because there's been this massive like decentralization of information, um, dark social has arisen. And it's just this area that's hidden away from attribution software 
from maybe even sellers direct influence, definitely from the direct influence of companies. Like there's like, it's like this rebellious, these little rebellious corners of the internet where buyers can get information with no strings attached. Um, it might be, you know, in the comments section of a LinkedIn post, right? It may be in a Slack community um, like uh, like Pavilion or Rev Genius or any one of these Slack communities, right? It could be on a podcast, right? They're listening to Cognizant podcast and they're learning something, right? Sales team at Cognizant doesn't know who's listening to this podcast. It's it's tucked away, it's hidden away, and that's where so much demand for something. Uh, whether it's a service or a product or or just uh, a problem in general, right? Creating like what I call this intent to explore, which I believe happens right before uh, there is an intent to buy. All of that intent is created in dark social. And, but here's the problem. It doesn't, it's like HubSpot can't measure it, right? It can't track it. It can't attribute to it. So what happens is marketers get in a jam because they have to prove ROI. So what do they do? They continue to double down on everything that they can measure, but those channels are, you know, increasingly less um, productive when it comes to generating pipeline. So you've got like this rebellious now uh, band of marketers like Refine Labs who says, hey, we're going to double down actually on dark social. We're going to deprioritize this strict at, like need for attribution and like this performance marketing direct response mindset. And what does it look like to tell good story, to communicate messages that are optimized for consumption in the channels where people are learning? Um, and, you know, we're driving an enormous amount of pipeline, not only for ourselves, but for our customers too, um, with this shift in mindset. So it's a really long definition there, but that's dark social. Uh, in a, in a minute long, you know, in a very long elevator ride, you know, like 20 floors, maybe. <laughs> so I, I love that idea around it's the, the areas that you can't measure. There's, it's difficult to provide attribution. And again, five, six, seven years ago, maybe like you, certainly like me coming from a hardcore direct sales mindset, yeah. this kind of sounds fluffy. Five, six yeah. years ago, five, six years ago, this sounds fluffy. It sounds like it sounds like an excuse, you know, it almost sounds like branding, right? It almost sounds like an excuse to <laughs> to not have a goal attached to your your demand budget, your marketing budget. Um so you can just kind of go out there and and create content all day and have fun. Yeah. However, and I'm I'm starting to convert in this movement myself and I'll share some stories, but when did it click for you that this is this is something that makes sense? Like why did you go from HubSpot attribution king right yep. you know track yep. everything mql creator right of yep. the inbound movement how do you go from that to this what what clicked for you where where did the lights come on i'm really curious because it sounds fluffy for a hardcore seller hey if yeah. it's not if it's not ready to buy they didn't come in and raise their hand i'm not talking to them but yet pipelines happening deals are happening through right. this, this dark social thing. yeah yeah, well, what's funny is how it happened for me was dark social myself. So I started following Chris two years ago, back when I started at HubSpot, like this is probably around the time you and I met two, two and a half years ago now. Um, that's when I was introduced and met Chris and Chris had just started like Refine Labs. It was like, so I was just like consuming his content. That's funny. He educated me on this entire concept uh, on dark social, right? And it started to make sense to me because I started to, the first thing I did was start to reevaluate my own buying patterns. And at that time, I wasn't like a decision maker. I didn't buy software, but it made sense what he was saying. I was like, yeah, like if, if I was going to buy, like, I don't really want to talk to sales like immediately. I want pricing on the website. I want more access to information. We've all scrolled on LinkedIn and seen ads that are like, just complete trash, right? Just noise in your feed, right? Like a, you know, a fundraising round, you know, or Gartner, we made the Gartner magic quadrants or we're ranked the winter winner for G2, right? And you've seen advertising that is uh, with that kind of like direct response, like just talking about me mindset. So a lot of those things started to click initially uh, for me. And then in my conversations with, um, you know, with, with my prospects, you know, at HubSpot, 
HubSpot's fantastic. Um, but, you know, Chris says this a lot, like marketers adopt the limitations of software becomes the marketer strategy. And I saw that like at HubSpot, mm. if you buy HubSpot, what do you do? You are going to be very, very heavy on email marketing, right? Um, because that's the tool that, that you've bought, right? So you're going to use it. You need to show value and maximize its usage and adoption. So the limitations of a tool, not in a bad way, but like it can't track dark social. So what are you going to do? You're going to maximize the usage of this $10,000, $20,000 tool that you just bought. So you're probably just going to focus on email marketing and retargeting maybe. And some of these other like, and gating content, right? It's a CRM. It's priced on contacts, right? So obviously it's biased towards email capture and this idea of gating content and then nurturing via email. And so as I work with customers, I realize like, yeah, this can work. There's this, but it's missing something that I believe to be very powerful. And that's when the lights kind of started to click for me uh, with this, with this mindset. So, so one of the things that I, I, cause I'm going through this journey myself now and I'm a huge believer. Uh, you know, when I was at connect and sell from my transition from the sales developers to connect and sell during the pandemic, uh, you know, I went in there to sell and I was going to do some marketing stuff for them, but um, the pandemic hit. So it was basically a sales role. And by the time um, I, I hit my quota, I wanted to look back and say, "Hey, where did all the where did all these deals really come from?" And you know, I connect to sell huge dials, uh, dial platform, right? You dial a bunch, you have conversations. I set like, over fifteen hundred meetings for myself doing cold outbound, that resulted in uh, only about fifteen percent of my total number. Now I, I hit my number, hit my number by October of twenty twenty. And mm -hmm. uh, the majority of that came from either LinkedIn or uh, the podcast stuff that I was doing. Uh, that's how I could attribute it. And I, I, I can't directly attribute it because it's not like I was gating the content and like, you know, but I asked people, hey, where did you find yeah, me? Exactly. Oh, so. You can self-reported attribution. Exactly. And, and, and now, and that's when, I, that's when it started to click for me, right? And when I, when I uh, actually left and started, uh, I was calling it bucketing, buckets as a service before phone ready leads, that's when you and I started talking and I was trying to figure out how can I get HubSpot to track all this stuff, right? How can I start to do that? And so it started to click for me, but then I, I was still in that marketer's mindset of like, I need to capture so that I know, and then I could double down versus like truly just doubling down on it. Yeah. Um, and I'm still trying to struggle with this a little bit, but the self-reported one is is one thing. But how do you how do you convince leadership that this is really a good strategy? Because I'm a huge believer now. It's like I I got a little bit frustrated. I actually did my live sessions. I was doing it every day, and I stopped doing it because it's like I don't see anything. I don't see the data. It's not worth it. HubSpot's not reporting yeah. it. Yeah. But then the the other piece is like, well, where's the right point to ask? Because of course, you have to get people to subscribe to get them like to get to the content somehow. You may want to do that. There's this this fine balance versus like the old school of just like, hey, subscribe and go. And every single partner that I run with these days is like, hey, you got a landing page? I'm like, I don't really care. I just do it live. You know, that's how yep. I feel. But yep. there's still this this constraint around like, how do you turn that into real? Like, like how do I how do I bring this to the board? Right? Like, how do I yeah. show value? Uh, yeah. What is outside of self reporting? Is there anything that you guys are talking about or doing? Because I think that's the big gap for leadership. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so once your mindset shifts and, and that you, you're like, this is serious and I want to double down on this and I see it, but how do I get the rest of the orc to see it? Like there's a mindset shift that happens where in your own brain first, that has to happen first. And that's like largely my sales process um, here at Refine Labs is like, that's like the first qualification box, right? Is like, is there a mindset, a real aligned philosophically here that this is, because this is a very different direction and it's going to take a lot of change management. It, sounds fluff it just sounds fluffy, man. It sounds fluffy. fluffy. So, it goes, so we go to second stage, right? So mindset um, is there. Then you do need a new and the right measurement framework. It's not impossible to do these things. Self-reported attribution is a part of it, right? We capture uh, that, that, that piece, but it's also um, showing what is in HubSpot. Like really did like 80% of our deals, like, is it organic? Or like you look in HubSpot, what it shows like direct traffic organic. What is really the story there though? There's yeah. a story behind every single one of those leads. So when you tell that to executives and you say, look at this histogram, 
And look at this. Most of our traffic and most of our opportunities are coming through or HubSpot's reporting organic or direct traffic. Where did they come from? What, where, where is all this? Like, there's not a lot coming from email marketing. It's still coming from like this very fluffy report. And that's when like a logical person says, I'm curious about this. I want to dig into that. And so we have our whole like measurement framework. Like whenever we bring a customer on, we install like our dashboard right into Salesforce or HubSpot. But again, it's not, it's not direct response. So what do we look at? We look at the high intent inbound website funnel. What we do is when we create demand on LinkedIn through our advertising, paid social, LinkedIn, Instagram, Reddit, um, Facebook, Quora, right? All these other like channels that we're experimenting on. What we notice is a very clear trend and it all, dude, it's a data story, right? The clear trend is that this really fast, like, high volume, like inbound pipeline where somebody hits the website, wants to talk to sales, um, that increases dramatically uh, because people are just, there's more hand raisers. Marketers miss this because they blend their funnels all into one big fluffy funnel where they've got like this low intent funnel that creates like a million MQLs and like five close one deals. And then they've got this like very lean high intent funnel, but uh, where it's like, requested a demo and these close at a 30% clip or a 20% clip, right? But what happens is this gets lost in the noise because marketers report on these in a way that's blended. And so one of the things we do when we come in is we, we call it splitting the funnel. We come in and we split the funnel and we say, hey, look at this. Look at where all the revenue is coming from. You split your own funnel. It sounds like a connect and sell. You said, where is this revenue actually coming from? I'm doing 90% of my activities are driving 15%. So we help companies to come to this conclusion on their own alongside them. And it's actually a very compelling story to tell um, to executive teams, right? It's a story that I tell like every day now. Um, and it clicks, you know, because the data is there. You just, the, the way you have it set up right now is optimized for the old way of marketing, right? So when you install kind of a new way to measure according to aligned with this new mindset, the numbers are actually pretty clear, honestly. Um, so, so what is the mindset here around distribution? How do you how do you how do you create distribution into the dark funnel? And is it possible? Like, can I can I actually proactively generate this, or does it have to be organic? Like, I know yeah, you're talking about running ads and things like that, but like, yeah. is, is it a function of distribution? Meaning, I got to get some like what other people have said in front of them, or does it have to happen organically in order to get that laser focused nail? Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Yeah. Like, can, can I, can I influence you through the dark funnel by proactively yeah. engaging you or do you have to find me organic organically? Yeah. Well this, yeah. If, yeah. This is where it's like, what, what, how do we define organic? Everybody's like, Oh, refined labs is hundred percent inbound. I don't entirely agree. I think what we do is outbound, except we are very specific about the channels that we choose. Chris goes outbound every single day, but he goes outbound on LinkedIn organic and not a phone or an email, right? So I think it's like this hybrid of, yeah, is it, it's really outbound that creates like this inbound. That's really what's happening. We're just choosing different channels. I don't know if that answers your question, but it's a choice between do I go outbound with a phone or do I go outbound with a podcast and then distribute that podcast by going outbound on LinkedIn organic and then distribute the podcast even further by breaking it down and distributing through uh, paid social, right? So uh, to me, I think of these really as outbound, but it's just in, in, in the channels where there's just a little bit less friction where they can be a little bit more profitable, um, where there's more scalability and where I can reach people um, a lot more quickly in a larger amount than like an SDR, right? Like making a dial or making two dials or a hundred dials a day or whatever it is. Now where it gets tricky is like this deeper level of dark social like communities. And that's where I have like a different paradigm for what I think SDR of the future is going to be doing. Um, I don't think that things like uh, good strategic cold outbound are ever going to go away. Same thing with cold email. Um, but I do believe that SDRs are going to be more involved in these dark social channels to be there. I watch it in Pavilion all day, man. I watch people recommend Cognizant um, and other things. And I'm like, 
where are these sales teams? Like maybe they're here and they just don't comment or anything. And maybe they're engaging with these people. But buyers are talking about Cognizant, for instance, in Pavilion every single day. Cognizant and Zoom Info, right? Is the sales team here? I always ask myself, like, are they here? Are they watching this? Like, this is where I would want to be. Uh, this happens like 10 times a day, right? So like there's deals right, right here. So what does it look like to not be... Um, uses rules of engagement on these different channels, right? You don't want to be like that aggressive seller, but what does it look like to outbound in these channels or at least be there and capture this demand where it's being created? Um, I think it's a fascinating idea to think through and I think it's kind of where we're moving, you know? So I think, I think there's some interesting pieces there and I, maybe there's like a visualization we come up together around this yeah. uh, because I think there's a lot of education around the, like, okay, so I get it. I want to, I want to be more, I want to be more focused on creating, uh, like you said, intent to explore types of opportunities in a proactive mm -hmm. mindset. The more of the intent to, to explore would be, you know, if you look at the Chet Holmes buyer period, how can we, how can we somehow influence those that are not thinking about it right now? That 30%, yeah. right? That 30% yeah. not thinking about it. That's the dark social funnel opportunity. Okay. Right. That maybe some of the don't think they're interested or know they're interested that's like super long tail but let's be honest that 30 percent is probably the, the the winning zone the open right. to it and buying now they're already kind of down the path so um if you're not a player in the space that's that's kind of how you start to get there faster and you might still right. be able to capture those through some of the traditional outbound but um so there's that there's that how do we capture capture the intent to explore via dark source so we want to play there but we don't want to be i think the the bad word that comes up here is salesy. Yeah. A lot of people well, think salesy. Do we want to capture it yet? Or do we want to encourage, nurture, fuel that area, right? I don't know if we want to capture yet. Um, I think we want to nurture that area and fuel it. We want more people there. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but I'm even thinking like, is capture even too, is, it's, it feels like it's too much for the identify yeah Influ you're identifying yeah. and influencing yeah. into this green zone of yeah not thinking about it so now they're now they're that's there so yeah. now so that's the winning zone so there's this identity opportunity and certainly this high intent to explore that's a list the list is the strategy you could run ads you could you could you know uh certainly a, a attempt to uh influence through communities etc but what is your thought around strategically using the traditional outbound mechanism, i.e. an SDR, yep. to then do one-to-one -one campaigns yep. against that list yep. with the mindset of not capture, as we're right. saying, like, hey, we're not going to push you into a sales meeting now, but right. what if we're starting the conversation to get them around this conversation topic, yep. which, which ought to be right on that cusp of, I'm thinking about this problem, or maybe I'm not thinking about it because they're not thinking about it, but I ought to be thinking about it because that's the winning yeah. zone, right? But but what is your thought around can you use a one-to-one -one, yes. you know, email or call? Uh, you don't, you know, you don't have to rely on these digital channels. Because I think that's where the fluffy stuff goes. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think that you can and you should be, right? Um, one to here's the here's the issue that I see a lot of SDRs or even AEs that are going outbound. Um, so let, let's back up. I see two buckets of activities that happen in any with any go to market team, like sales and marketing. You're either running activities that capture demand, right? Chet Holmes, that one to three percent, or you're generating or you're, you're running activities and strategies that create demand. Um, I don't think there's inbound versus outbound. I think that's old. Yes. That's that's not a, that's not the right paradigm to be thinking. I think there's only capturing demand and creating demand. Most teams, marketing and sales teams together are hyper like invested in capturing demand. That's why SDRs, they go outbound and everything is direct response. Their messaging is designed to get a meeting, to fill a pipe. And that's a capture demand mindset. So do they capture some of that demand? Yeah. Every once in a while, you talk to somebody and by some stroke of luck, they're like, hey, Ryan, yeah, I was just thinking about, you know, getting a data provider. That happens. But what about the rest of those opportunities where those people are pissed off that you called or they don't respond uh, positively to the messages because the message is off? It's a demand. They're running a demand capture message and not a demand create message. That's, so what is th that's important. Can you explain what you mean by that? Because 
Yeah. You said they said get pissed off because of a call, but it wasn't because of the call. Right. It was because it's of what? The message. It's the message. Okay. It's a demand create demand capture message, and that's that that that's jarring because they're like, what? I don't. I'm not even aware of a problem. You haven't shifted my mindset yet, but you want to put me on the phone with an AE. That's jarring, right? That's, that's just so like, there's so much friction there. That just breaks stuff, right? I just, I'm thinking of different visuals in my head of just like, you know, just like this intense friction. But what does it look like to go back to your first question? Is there a place for one-to-one -one outbound in that winning zone? Yes, but the message has to change because a demand capture message doesn't resonate with that audience. But would a demand create message resonate with them? If I called, if you called me, if Cognizant called me, because I'm not in the market for like a data provider, but if so, what if one of their sales reps called me and was like, hey, Carl, like they gave me some like low value message and they were like, hey, can we talk about and show you our offerings, this and that? Like, I'd be like, no, dude, I'm fine. I don't need anything. But if Cognizant called me with a demand create message, it was like, hey, Carl, we've got this body of research that shows uh, this XYZ thing, wondering if you'd be all right with like, some kind of executive briefing. We'll run you through a deck that shows you some of this research that we're seeing with new sales leaders and their data and this and that. And you know what? No pressure. We'll leave you with the deck after uh, we're done with the call. And um, you can decide if you want to talk to us. But again, want to leave it with you. Like something very like, like invite me to, 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 when I got into this role, I'll give you an example. When I got into this role, um, director was like all of a sudden, like I was this cool guy, right? And it was all of a sudden on my resume. So I got pummeled with all this inbound or all this uh, outbound. And it was all like, hey, Carl, you're new in your role. Curious if you have any competitive intelligence software in place, you know? And it's like, that's a demand capture message. And the answer is no. And now they're like, oh, you know, I, I didn't get an opportunity. So they move on to the next person. But what if they would have said, hey, We've got some research that shows when you do these things and when you organize competitive intelligence in certain ways, um, it can help you. It looks like some of your competitors are these three agencies that kind of play in this demand gen space. I maybe would have taken that call. I would have been like, yeah, I'm interested in that. I'll, I'll, I'll spend 30 minutes to kind of see. Like, if you want to get my attention, you have to. This is going back. I'm rambling now, but creating demand is like, can you, can you, do you know something that I don't know? I'm only taking a sales call for two reasons. One, I'm, I need to buy something, right? I took a sales call with all con conversation intelligence tools in January because, like, that's one of the first things I had to do. I had to buy conversation intelligence. So you will get a meeting with me, one, if I'm buying something actively, two, if you know something I don't. There's no other reason for me to take a call. And the thing that I don't know has to be interesting to me, right? But again, to segment, one of those is a demand capture message. One of those is a demand create message. So again, rambling, but you can win one-to-one -one outbound in that winning zone, but it takes a different kind of message and it takes a different kind of measurement framework. You can't comp those SDRs on meetings. They might not get meetings, right? Is that what success is? Is it a meeting? Or is it delivering a compelling, differentiating message to Ryan and knowing that he might be in marketing Q3? That's a win to me. But how do you measure that? You know? So I almost feel like as you talk through this stuff, there, there needs to be a new shift in the – if you're going to – if you're actually understanding this, you're nodding your head, you're buying. It's like, okay, there's a demand capture funnel that does work and should work. And if you run market dominance, um, which is something that – Chris Beal pushes all the time. We wrote an ebook about this with Connect and Sell, which is like you, you map your TAM, you call your TAM, you follow up. You can at some point eventually get to a funnel that is demand capture. And that should be done. It should be done because you're going to miss out on opportunities if you're not running demand capture. But here's the trick. Only 3% of your marketing is buying right now or your, your market right. is buying now. So how do you get to the rest of the 97% of your market in an intelligent way? Well, you think about this demand um not capture, but demand creation, right? You're creating, you're creating demand in the next 97% and there's a yep. funnel. And yep. um, so if you think about that, the, the traditional funnel SDR AE, that's fine. But now we think about the 97% of that. Now, if you go and say, hey, I've got this uh, exciting report and it is something you don't know, Carl, 
the yeah. AE, the AE, the person who's truly responsible for selling, like the, the way that most people think about sales probably isn't the person to deliver that report either. Now you start to think about your solution consultant type of yeah. role, which currently I think is miscast and misused in a lot yes. of these organizations where an AE is just sitting there and they're like demoing and stuff like that. What if yeah. you, what if you created these, you know, experts in specific topics that relate to your product or yes. service? And that's all you're doing all day long. I think about myself, like math, the sales consultations, that's what yep. drive. that's what drives my demand creation. I have those meetings all the time. People get a shit ton yep. of value out of it and yep. I don't need you to buy now, but at some point you're going to come back to that when you're yes. ready potentially. And, but that role doesn't exist in most organizations. And so if you're using an SDR or a one-to-one -one outreach function to, de to, to, to create demand creation, can you then do that in the form of podcasting webinars weekly webinars or is that like a one-to-one -one relationship that provides more value and i'm just curious your thoughts on that because that's just yeah. that's kind of what my gears going right now dude you hit the nail on the head there uh now you're talking about the solutions engineering role i posted about this like a month ago on linkedin where it's like we you know you always hear sales gurus talk about like moving away from product demos and don't sell the product sell the, you know don't sell the the drill bit sell the whole right these concepts that are trying to articulate um, like selling a vision, selling a change, selling a different perspective as opposed to the product. And then what, what do sales teams do? They front load their organization with a bunch of product experts. It makes no sense to me at all. Um, it, you're going to get the people that you hire. You hire product experts to run demos. Those people are going to talk really a lot about the product. So I think that there's definitely space. Um, and again, I chatted uh, I was on LinkedIn uh, a month or so ago. I posted about this. It's like, why is there not a subject matter expert uh, consultant that's on the pre-sales team that works alongside solutions engineers, right? It's solutions consultant that is just an expert in sales. I don't even know anything about the product. Who cares if it's Cognizant or HubSpot? I just want to have peer-to-peer -peer conversations with the ICP. Um, that's that's missing. Why are those? Why don't those people join sales calls? To like sellers get so much product support. Why don't they get subject matter expertise support? A lot of a lot of people will say, "Oh, sellers should be that." I don't agree. I think sellers should be product experts. It's way easy to learn how to demo HubSpot. Like you shouldn't need a solutions engineer for that. It's way harder to become an expert in forecasting, in advanced marketing strategies, in going to market, like stuff like that, especially for an AE who's never done these things at an executive level in an organization. What if I could bring Ryan Reisert onto a call and I can chat it up, talk shop with a sales team at a target account. That's so much more valuable than a, a solutions engineer that they created some properties and a couple reports for me to show on a demo. So I'm a hundred percent with you. And I think that this doesn't even exist. I don't even know an organization that's doing that. Um, it's, it's, it's super, it's super interesting. Cause when I look back at what was really successful for us at eSearch Vision, which we were bootstrapped. I just told this story with Mark Wendling um, and his background and how he's been able to take Snowflake from Series C to IPO. And, you know, there's not many sales leaders that maintain that job over five years, especially once you're public and he's still around and they're still cranking. He knows what he's doing. At eSearch Vision, we had a model, which we mimicked off of Google. They do this really well, is that the... Uh, you know, you've got, uh, we were sales directors and then the, the account managers, but essentially Benny Blum was my expert. He was an expert in search. He was such an expert. He was, this is way before all this stuff, man. He was at SMX. He was blogging for them. He was the subject matter expert. And when I sold deals, what made us very different is I'm breaking into the accounts and then we had this audit analysis and this audit analysis wasn't silly as salesy at all. If we could get access to their uh, search data, uh, which was just a couple reports. They, they didn't even have to give right. us access to the accounts. Just drop the reports. He could he spun up this beautiful analysis and we would go show up and he would present it. I'm there if and only if there was enough triggers and pain and, and, and otherwise we just left them with it and we'd go away and you, you'd be surprised even back then how many people would come back to us saying, hey, what's the next step? I'm like, oh, yeah. So we, we move forward to this pilot. I didn't have to cram it down their throat because they got so right. much value out of that. And right. I wasn't the pushy salesperson in the process. Benny did the magic. Um, 
And so it's funny because that was the model, but it never really got formalized. And now that I'm thinking yep. through this now, with all of this debate about the SDR and is it dying and so on and so forth, like if you're going to specialize, you can specialize in the funnel above the funnel, which is now this concept of demand generation, right? We're saying creation, not generation, yep. creation. Yep. And there's this, now there's the, the uh, distribution of a one-to-one -one SDR setting for an expert. Imagine that, right? And that expert has different forums, which might be a podcast, could be a, a webinar series. It could be a live session that you do yeah. things like that. And then, and then only when it becomes a uh, demand um, capture, which could exist, that's when the sales, and that's a junior role, right? Like yeah. a more junior role because they're already there. They have a programmatic demo that's based on the specific subsets and more complex situations. You might have a solutions architect or engineer in there, you know, for, for the enterprise sales world, but that's where this becomes super interesting. And imagine, yeah. imagine that, right? Like you have a, a team that's just out there going outbound with the purposes of just filling this demand creation funnel for one or a handful of subject matter experts on different topics. Yeah. And then those funnels go, then you've got these two funnels going. Um, but that role, yeah, it, 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 it isn't selling at all. And it's, I don't think a salesperson sits in that meeting. They don't need to. They don't need to be involved. It's just, no. hey, when is someone, it's just route them when it's ready. Then they can push the papers. And I used to joke yeah. about this. I don't even know where it sits. It's like, is that marketing? It's, it's again, it's pre-sales. It's like its own little, like, cohort of genius, right? Where I think of it this way. Like, if, if, I, if, if I was a CEO or CMO, or a CSO of like an accounting software platform, like what would I do? One of the first things I would do is I would go like find like accountants. I would go like hire like three accountants and say, hey, do you want to make a lot more money and not have a bunch of stress uh, during tax time and not be doing all the BS that you have to do? Like, you know, with ledgers and debits and credits and everything else that you do, I totally like I, I, I just side note, like I super respect like the accounting practice and it's way harder than I just articulated it. But um, I got a C in accounting one and two when I was in college. So I'm, I'm definitely not an accounting major. But um, like, why don't we just bring in accountants and pay them 120, 130 grand a year? And hey, this is what you're going to do. You're going to talk on LinkedIn. You're going to post every day. We're going to help you. You're going to have a podcast. We're going to do all the heavy lifting. You're just going to talk. And you're going to join sales calls and you're going to talk as a peer to the CFOs and the accountants that we're selling to. And you're going to look at all of our outbound messaging and you're going to tell us if it's garbage because you're the ICP. Like, would this resonate with you? You're going to help us with our sales enablement. Right. And how we tell story like I like what does it look like to have this like subject matter expert cohort of the ICP? Like just hire your ICP and let them guide and advise internally. It's kind of like a customer advisory board sort of, except they're on payroll and they work 40 hours a week to influence and add value in these different areas. And I think one of those areas is joint sales calls, especially with like target accounts, right? To where the buyer and the prospect isn't talking to a sales rep. No matter what I do to learn demand gen, it will never feel the same as if you're talking to Chris Walker my CEO. It just won't. Chris has done it. I have learned how to do it after the fact, right? Um, it's never, so how do we create that feeling of I'm talking to a peer and not a sales rep that was trained to talk in a certain way and answer questions in a certain way? Like, how do you manufacture that? I think the companies that figure that out are going to close all day. Like, how do you win against that? How do you win against the company that's doing that? I wouldn't want to go up, up against the sales team that operated in that way, you know? So like, that's dangerous, you know, like that's a losing battle. So how do you create that competitive edge like that? You know, the interesting part about what you're describing is essentially the challenge that most innovative entrepreneurs have to get past, you know, like a million or two, or three, you know, because they are that they are that they're doing that role. They're, they're the thought leader. They're driving yep. a new innovative idea. They are doing the right things, but then they get to this certain level where they think it's like, they're just going to pass it off and sales will take care of it. But now all of a sudden you start to specialize that you get to another stage of growth. If you could have salespeople to get in the capture side, Chris is getting the, uh, gen, uh, the creation you you take on it on the capture. 
But right. then what happens after that? Well, then you start to clone many versions of you, which I think will be an exciting journey to see what happens as you become that you know, expert. You're not going to be as good, but you could start to absolutely generate your own uh, demand right. creation funnels within their right. funnels, which takes the right. heavy lifting off, right? And that's that intermediate right. role that I think emerges here. It's very interesting. And one of the things I've struggled with as an entrepreneur uh, and or a salesperson at early stage companies is I kind of take on those roles. And you mentioned this earlier about, well, hire people to do it. Well, what's really challenging is if you're someone who's forward thinking and wants to become an expert in the thing, you don't really like the selling. Selling defined as like take a lead, get the get the order in. And, but there's people that are really good at that. Those are the coffee for closer closers. Get me a lead, I'm going to close them. Get me in the Zoom, I'm going to close them. Right. Save that. Save that for the 3% demand capture funnel get those right. people but if you had one really good closer like that yeah. you know you you feed a beast like that who's really good at actually you know closing something that's ready because those people do exist and i always joke right. that they're just order takers but they exist and they're good at what they do and yep. then you but then you you actually find these more forward thinking experts and you combine those two that's actually like a a much more interesting way to think about specialization than yeah. some of the ideas that have been presented. I really like what you've kind of carved out here, Carl. Yeah, we're like special. I feel like this is the way that we go with specialization is like we just specialize activities, but we don't specialize like knowledge almost, right? I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm going off the cuff here, but it seems like with like the advent of like the SDR, that was like a specialization in like activity where it was like, okay, there's like outbound and then there's like closing so can we just specialize like here? It was like, why, why you know, I always wonder like, you know, predictable revenue, right? It influenced a lot of this, but like, why was the, I always wonder like, why was that specialization like line in the sand drawn? Cause that job why? sucks. Cause that yeah, job well, sucks. I think AEs did such a good job of selling the fact that they shouldn't be doing that, that like sales leaders were like, all right, we're going to lose all these guys if we don't hire SDRs to take on the sucky part. I think you're exactly right. Like it was the, the greatest win of all time in the history of AEs was convincing leadership that they shouldn't prospect anymore, that you should just hire like college students to do it. It's genius. Well, when you think about the when you think about the job to be done in the funnel that was specialized, and it's not just the calling that was specialized, it was also the servicing. Yeah. We're we're already casting into these roles and the ones that do it well do it well, right? Closers that yep. do it well are really I know I know some of these guys. They're yeah. very good at what they do. They they sometimes have an ego you probably don't like and there's some that I actually don't like from a person, person, personal level, but from a professional level, they do a good job at closing. That is what they do. Um, same thing with customer service. So those closers don't want to service very well either, right? Got the deal done, don't want to deal with the stuff. Now, the diff again, there's an argument around, well, that's the person that's like shady, et cetera. I'm not, I'm not saying that person will close a deal at all cost. There's still some that will do a good job, but their job is they just want to go keep capturing demand. They don't want to like service the long tail. There are people that are good at that. Right? There are people that are good at just coming in and dealing with problems and fighting fires and they don't get stressed out about it. They're just like, hey, what's next? Come at me, right? So that was totally. that extra level of specialization that for some people, they don't like doing that, right? So if you're a closer, you definitely don't like that because it's like, why are you talking about your problem over here? Where's my next right. paycheck, brother? Like that type of yeah. thing. And yeah. then you got the top of funnel demand, right? And so if you think about the roles that have been cast, they're there, but now you rethink it from, uh, like you said, it's not it's, it's it's knowledge, but it's also the journey. And now starting yeah. to put you're putting the customer into this conversation, which is the buyer centric model. What's the where's the customer at here, and what kind of value do you specifically bring into this equation? Well, if you're an expert and knowledge, and you're you're going to bring to some like you said earlier, if you're going to help me learn something I don't know, well, I want to talk to that person. But if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna be an expert in and uh, closing, well, and I'm at that point where you want to buy, well, you want the person that's going to help you buy and not the person right. that tries to over-educate you. I had this conversation with Nelson. Like, don't over-educate me right now. I want the sunglasses. Give me the damn sunglasses, right? Yeah. So yep. so you cast them the right way and then, and then there's almost this blend back over here because if the expert then goes back into success, I still want access to, I still want access to Chris. Not, you can't just, you can't just teach me here you got to funnel me through. And actually I was just talking to, uh, uh, the Cognizant team around clients love the, uh, the, the thought leadership that comes in the pre-sales process. But then some of the clients are now saying, Hey, it went away. I'm not getting that anymore. How do I, how do I get more of that? So now 
you got you can't forget about that and so there's this this knowledge element that it's not just about the stage of role but it's also the customer journey and where they fit along the way and there's also that place for redemand generation capture as well so there are people that like to do the calling i'm one of them right and i people say it sucks but i love that stuff right there are people that love to learn and be be experts in and teach right? that's another person and there's people that like to solve problems but there's actually an element of where everyone needs to be involved along the way someone who can come in and just get a deal done it, it exists in a lot of areas right someone who can get get the door broken down or rebroke down or reestablish it exists and then someone who can like you know bring the tribe together these these are the things that produce like what we know in these in these rules, but I don't know, man. I'm just kind of I'm just I'm just riffing here, but that, that makes a lot it. of sense. Yeah, man. It's just like I always think of uh, I'm big on differentiation and like competitive advantages. So when I think of like like a sales leader now, I put my sales leader hat back on. I'm like, if we ran a process, if we had an ecosystem of closing and sales, it's it's not even like a sales process because that sounds so like manufacturing and so linear. But if we had like this like demand capture and create ecosystem that had all the right people in the right places. Like, man, your close rate, you know, I always think about like the average close rate in SaaS is like in B2B SaaS, like 25%. I'm like, imagine that you have four people that are interested in buying and only one of them buys. And we take that as like, Oh, that's average. That's pretty good closing. Right. But you go and create an ecosystem of knowledge and closing and knocking on doors and you and you cast people in the right roles and you provide the value to the customer that they want in that part of the journey, right? In the very beginning of the journey, they really want a ton of education. They don't want a product. There comes a point where the closer needs to come in and connect the dots. That education is going to be implemented in these ways. And this is what we're going to bring to the table. Close deal. And then customer success comes in and creates success in that ecosystem and bring in, and brings in more education in a different way that's more informed by the product or the service whatever it is man you go, that's a go to market motion that how do you how do you compete with that you know let's say hubspot implements that kind of ecosystem like you're not going to lose deals like how would salesforce rise to that occasion where they're running a process. You know, I say it all the time. It's been on my head. It's been my LinkedIn headline for like two years now, but uh, how you sell is why you win. All that we're describing here is just like how we go about this entire process in an innovative way. And you will, you just like, you can't lose, you know, like you can't lose deals. Um, it, and so I, I think it's interesting to think about it from like a competitive standpoint too, where I think eventually the market will be flooded and every vendor will have like these subject matter experts. But right now, just like dark social, we're in this infancy stage where 98% of revenue leaders are just scared to dip their toes in. They're skittish. They, they won't do it. But then there's like this 2% that are just going to cash checks for the next couple of years while the laggards struggle to, you know, oh, is TikTok for me or for not? There's going to be two percent of the of the of of the market that just jumps into TikTok and just is going to cash checks for two years and set the tone. And that's really exciting to me. And that's what I love about this conversation is like this all falls into that bucket of how you sell is why you win, which I mean, again, is just a direct is a direct path to to pipeline, you know, and hitting ambitious targets. So. So I want to talk a little bit about that now. So we got a few minutes left, and I'll uh, land the plane in here. But if, if we can keep going for a few more minutes here, is all right. So we've set the stage pretty strong here. You said there's two percent that are doing ninety eight. They're not. But what are you seeing in the organizations right now that, um, like, that you're working with that are just they get it? Like, what what's going off? Like, why are they successful? What are the things that they're applying? Um, like just, just, just so folks that might be wanting to figure this out, like what are they doing? What did they have to change in their mindset or their operational belief system uh, to get yep. it going? And then, the, and then I want to save time so we don't go too deep into that. Then I want to also say, like, why is that? Where is the resistance happening? But let's start with where they're winning first, and then maybe come back to where they're they're not working out here. But it, it is a shift, right? It sounds fluffy. It's just I'm still I'm down that path myself. I'm like, all right, it sounds good, but. But where's the revenue? Like that's the going to be the, the argument, right? It's there. 
Yeah, the revenue is there, man. Again, you already looked at you already looked at it. Going back to your connect and sell days, you split the funnel yourself. You saw it; it's there. So it's like it's not fluffy. It's just it's hard. It's hard to be like, really, is this happening? Is this happening to me? Like, is only fifteen percent of my deals really being sourced from cold outbound? That's what I sell, you know. Like, so I think that's just like I don't know what that is, but it's just like like. Like sometimes it like, does it like, I feel like this sometimes it's like, am I a fraud? You know, like I'm a salesperson selling marketing, you know, like there's like conflict there that I think a lot of salespeople have to deal with, you know? Um, and I feel like the companies to answer your question, like the companies that are doing it well are just kind of like casting that off. They're done feeling like that. And they just like, they've, they've changed their minds to just go all in. And you can tell that, um, they they invest money. Like we have this rock star customer. Um, I'm not going to share their name or anything. Uh, cause again, we are like a major competitive advantage to them in their market. Um, but their, their marketing leader is just like a luminary. Like she just can sell like vision internally. So I think that's the first thing you have to have. I think a lot of marketers struggle just to sell weird new stuff internally. Right. So there's like a gift or a skill there that needs to be developed because then what that brings once you that internal sale happens it brings investment and once you then can invest in something like refine labs or you know like a cognizant or, or or whatever it is that the service is uh, or product and that service delivers on what it is that it delivers then it becomes a lot easier because it's like oh the pipeline is here and now we can just go ask for more money so with this customer um they have just, again, fully bought in. It was a risk to them in the beginning, a risk. We knew it wasn't a risk, but that's that's what the customer feels like when they're buying something. There's like this element of risk uh, that we have to help them to navigate. Um, but man, like one of, the, one of the things that they're producing, which is so cool to watch, we have this concept that we talk about called growth stacking. And in a nutshell, it's essentially that we we come in and we stabilize, operationalize and scale like the basics of demand gen. So like we get LinkedIn to work, we get Facebook to work, we get Instagram to work, we get the basics in place. What that does, it unlocks this new layer where this is generating so much pipe. Now we can go ask for more money and now we can do weird stuff. Now we can go experiment. Now it's like super fun. We're like two years in with this customer and we're, we're running experiments on like Reddit, Quora, like different weird things to do, not just like direct response in a Reddit channel that you see whenever you're on Reddit, right? Like really innovative new things. And it's starting to produce pipeline. Most organizations never get there because they're like, uh, does LinkedIn work? It's like, no, running direct response on LinkedIn doesn't work. So they think the channel doesn't work. Right. right? So, so what's it's the time? What's the timeline look like here? Because I think when you redefine or re, when you redefine the metrics that you're looking for, that's what that's all that matters. You have to speak. The KPI has to align, right? So, what does success look like? And that's where yep. you get more budget. But does it yep. does it does it have to produce instantaneously? Like, you, if you can get LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, is that like deals happening instantly? And and what's the timeline? Because that's always yeah. the issue. That's always the issue, right? Every yeah. marketer, every salesperson is about ROI. Oh, show me the ROI. Okay. Show me that. And the, and the time frame seems to be now. If it's not now, it's done. Oh, I tried that; it didn't work. How much time? Yep. Do, how much time does someone need? And what are those KPIs? Yeah, that's a totally separate topic of like unrealistic goals, right? That's one <laughs> of the things that we look for in discovery. Uh, when I'm in a discovery call and I hear a CEO hop on and they're like, "Hey, we want to hire Refine Labs," and you know, we're at five million ARR and we want to be at 20 million in December. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's ambitious. Like how many deals did you close last year? 10. Okay. So you, you somehow want to close 50 X more deals and how much do you have budgeted to like spend like ads, you know? And they're like, Oh, you know, 10, 15 K it's like, okay, you're DQ'd, right? <laughs> so it's like, yeah. you don't, you don't understand how this math works. So, I mean, I think the best teams like understand how that math works and they understand that marketing um, is a ramping process. It can start slow. you got to be patient. But man, Orion, it can happen very quickly. Our customers see 70 to 100 percent uplift in marketing sourced sales qualified pipeline in the first three to six months. So it's not that like it's it, the process of creating demand works and the sales team feels it. 
in a quarter or two. Um, and that's so you know, you know, it's work, you know, dark social is working the right way if you're seeing yeah. the lift within a quarter. Yeah. You might get snake oiled into some <laughs> other firm. Some dark social. When I talk about what we do, remember, we only execute on paid social. Um, stuff like what you did and Chris Walker do. Like, you got to remember, Chris Walker started Refine Labs two years ago, and now we have like millions of dollars in our pipeline that's generated off LinkedIn. But that took two years right. um, for him to build this. So, LinkedIn organic. So, I think we have to like which strategy in dark social? There's different expectations for time. Anything paid is going to have a much more, uh, a much faster kind of ramp than organic, right? Like I just hit 10,000 followers on LinkedIn. Like I've been doing this for like two years and I, only now I hit 10,000, you know? So like it takes time and you saw that as well. So I think it's just setting the right expectations there. Uh, yep. But again, when you have the right mindset and you're like, we want to be the market leader in the next three years, five years, that changes how you go to market uh, to be so much more effective than we need to raise a series B in the next quarter and we have no marketers in place and nothing but whatever. We just need to go from five to 50 million and we're just going to do it right. Like this top down, like reporting that's mm -hmm. totally disconnected from reality. You just want to avoid that, you know? So anyways, I don't want to ramble. I know we're coming up on time, but yeah. Um, so, so, I mean, we, we kind of hit the, kind of hit the the mindset piece of where it's not working in that question which is uh i think we could talk for hours carl but i know we're going to get tight on on time here uh oh. as we land the plane here uh if there was if if i'm coming to you right now um uh, i want to get this going uh and and i know you said you kind of have to have these skills but sounds like you might be able to support you know, as an expert here on a few things, but Hey, I want to, I want to say, I want to sell this internally. Do you have any tips, tricks, feedback, ways to approach the internal discussion? If I'm someone who believes in this concept that I want to bring it to my leadership to work with someone like refine labs. Uh, Cause I think that'd be a great place to land the conversation today. How do I, how do I encourage my organization to start thinking about this and not just thinking about it, but doing, cause you're the closer here. You got a couple minutes to, to bring it home here. Yeah. Yeah. I think two mistakes that marketers make when they're trying to sell this internally. One, they've done no work on their end to create even a tiny bit of traction using dark social to bring some early results, right? Some early positive signals from the market that this might work and is, is worth our time to invest a little bit of money. A lot of marketers go straight to the CEO and they're like, Hey, I want to do this. I need uh, you know 500k uh, for H1 to run this right. So I, the first thing I do is encourage marketers that have resistant leadership potentially go like start a podcast, like go run ads a little bit differently. Like you don't need to hire Refine Labs to do a lot of the things that we talk about. Right, go start get a couple of sellers to start like posting on LinkedIn and help them to do that. These don't cost money; they cost time. Spend some time there measure it properly like don't just do it willy-nilly like really try to set up some kind of measurement framework and get some traction to take that and involve leadership in that hey i'm thinking about doing this i'm not a ceo yet but i would love it if a marketer i would like to think that i'd love it if a marketer came to me and said hey i'm really pumped up about this to drive revenue in this way. I'm going to start experimenting in this way. It's not going to cost us any money, but I'm going to be using some time blocks during the week to do this. Um, what would you like to see from like this experiment? What results? Like align with me on that. And I think like that's really powerful. Marketers don't do that. They kind of rush into the, the proverbial digital C-suite and they're just like, I need a million bucks and this is what I'm going to do. And everybody's kind of like, uh, okay. You know, so that's the first thing, like get some early traction and do that well. Um, the second thing is understand, I ran into this at HubSpot a lot, understand what, you know, the leadership cares about. You know, I, I ran into this at HubSpot, like marketers would again, run to the CEO and be like, hey, I want 20,000 bucks uh, because I want to be more efficient with email sending, you know, and like they, they, they position something that's important to them, but they use language that's marketing language, right? So it's like, how do I articulate what I want in a way that the CEO would understand? Use their language, right? Speak the language of revenue. I notice a lot of marketers don't have really strong like intra-business acumen. They don't, they think like a marketer or a marketing manager or a demand gen manager. 
how do you change your own mind to think like the CFO might think or the CEO might think? So I think those first two areas are mistakes that I see marketers make. So again, to recap them, one, they rush in, ask for things without showing any kind of initial traction. Go get some traction. Uh, and the second thing is they don't speak the language of their audience, right? It's basic sales. You know, you, you and I know this, right? Speak the language of your CEO and don't come to them saying, hey, we want to do demand gen and we're going to run in-feed storytelling and paid social and use all these words that the CEO has no idea. But And then and then what I see happens is marketers are like, oh, my CEO doesn't get marketing. It's like, yeah, they, they would get it. They get revenue and they would get it, but it's there's, there's, there's a story and a language barrier there that, I think it's on the marketer to bridge that gap and they'd have a lot more success kind of pushing their initiatives and really changing and transforming their careers if they kind of learned how to how to avoid these two mistakes that I've articulated. So I love it. Well, let's land the plane here. Uh, Carl, I took a lot of your time today. Really, really appreciate your insight. This was a exciting conversation for me, really got my gears turning. Um, if you're tuning in and watching this uh, and you're not following Carl already, you heard it first. He's at 10,000 followers, but let's get that up. You know, let's get that up. This guy's a, this guy's a, a source of knowledge and um, definitely working for an organization that is doing some really innovative things. If you haven't also heard of Refine Labs, um, I just myself am stumbling across some of this stuff and uh, really, really uh, learning a lot. So Carl, thanks for taking the time and, um, if folks want to get a hold of you, I'm sure LinkedIn's a great channel there. So you hopefully get a couple followers out of this and, uh, maybe we can have you back in the future. Anytime, Ryan. Thanks for having me. All the best, Pam.